Good morning. morning. Continue our series in God's Priceless Promises. Today we're going to look at lessons from suffering. What a downer. All of us have known the pain due to suffering or affliction. Amen? Has anyone here not experienced pain in their life? Not a single hand. Whether it's an illness, marital struggles, crushed dreams, infertility, worry over children, health scares or health downturns, aging parents, stress about finances, stress about grades and school entrance requirements, or just general anxiety about your future. All of us have struggled with life and felt the pain of living. Amen? We have. Now, this morning, I want us to understand there are two types of suffering. The first type of suffering is needless suffering. Or to put it in the vernacular, it's stupid suffering. You make decisions, you do things, and you shoot yourself in the foot, don't you? And you get done with it and you say, why did I ever do that? Okay, that's needless. And the passage we're going to look at this morning doesn't talk about your stupidity or mine. Because I have needlessly suffered in the past as well. I have made silly decisions. But there's a second kind. We find ourselves living in this broken, fallen world. And because of that, as we try to follow Jesus, we end up suffering. We end up with pain in our life. And we struggle. We're going to talk about that today. But there's a problem. We tend to adopt inappropriate or silly methods of coping with pain in our life. Some of you suffer in silence. Don't tell anyone. Suffering is not spiritual. I need to look godly on the outside so nothing I have I have a Teflon suit on and everything just kind of bounces off of me not healthy excuse me that's martyrdom that's martyrdom or secondly some of you sugarcoat your broken lives oh it's all okay I wear the mask and you deny your problems Now, everyone else around you knows that you're suffering. They see the pain, but you're not going to let on. You're, You're living above it. Thirdly, and there's not too many in this church, but some of you complain all the time. Oh, woe is me. I am suffering again. And some of it's for Jesus. Oh, how's it going? Oh, man, they they pull out the scroll of all the things that are going on in their life and just how life's not fair and all the pain there. And they have become often over times bitter. And you tend to avoid those people. 
And of course, none of you are in this room this morning. But we avoid them because we know it's going to be a 15-minute litany of all the things that are going wrong in their life. Yes, I know you're suffering. See, those three things cause us to put walls around ourselves. Here's my pain, and I don't want anyone to get too close to get inside. Can I suggest this morning that instead of building walls around our lives, we need to build bridges to other people. We need to let them in and see where we're at. And we need to get out of ourselves sometimes into other people's lives so that we understand perspective that maybe what I'm going through pales in comparison to other people. And I need to know that. I think we're going to learn today through the passage we're going to look at not to build walls, but to build bridges to God and to others. Now, as I go through suffering, I tend to hear in my own life four questions. Number one, why, God? Why? I'm looking for purpose. I'm looking for understanding. And and yet I I am a, a, a little bit complaining as well, too. Now, If I'm talking only to God, he understands that question. We'll look at that more this morning. The second question, why me? Why me? Is God singling me out for this? I'm trying to live for you, Jesus. Third question, why now? I, God, I, I don't like your timing. I, I, I think it stinks. This does not fit into my plan for my life. Here is my agenda, and you're messing it up. Why me? And fourthly, why this? Why this thing? Why this area? This seems so unfair this morning. Couldn't you change the parameters a little bit? Make it a little bit easier? Well, I'm going to take us to a passage this morning found in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 that I think will bring perspective to the pain that we're suffering. Page 1225 there in the Pew Bible. 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 through 11. Let me give the background. We're at the beginning of the book of 2 Corinthians. The church at Corinth was infested with problems. Many of them Paul dealt with, and he wrote the book of 1 Corinthians, that letter he wrote, to address some major problems this church was having. As word has come back to him, how the church is responding to Paul's correction, he finds out that opponents of Paul 
have infiltrated the young church. Paul was writing again to defend his apostleship, but he was also writing this church again to encourage believers in this church to hang in there. Put in your notes the word comfort. Comfort. In verses 3 through 7, five verses, the word comfort, either in its noun form or in its verb form, are found ten times in five verses. So if you want to know about comfort, this is the passage in all of the scriptures to go to. What is comfort? Comfort is simply to encourage someone. It it means, it has the idea of, here's this person, they're in struggling, they're in pain, they're in agony, and I'm going to walk alongside of them for a season to encourage them, to lift them up, to strengthen them, to help them find release for pent-up sorrow and emotion. To give them some help in time of need. Whether it's through my words or through my presence. What's so interesting, when Jesus Christ says, I'm going to send you another one like me, he is called the comforter. The Spirit who comes into our lives and walks alongside of us in this walk of faith is there to encourage and to strengthen us. Well, let's look at the text. Verses 3 through 7. Let me read that for you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Can you use the word comfort any more in one sentence? I don't think so. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. To fill in the blank in your outline, God uses suffering to prepare us to comfort others. God uses suffering to prepare us to comfort others. In verse 3, we see the character of God and our response to that character. And the very first word in verse 3 is blessed. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul here starts on a, a note of praise to God. God is the object and he expresses gratitude and adoration to the Father. Now note, although God is known by his actions... 
His actions flow out of his character, and it's not the reverse. He is not comforting or merciful because he displays them, but because intrinsically that's who he is. And if you know anything about God, God's character never changes. Amen? Amen. Never changes. So in verse 3, his character, he is called the father of mercies, and that word mercies can also be translated compassion, the father of compassion, and the God of all comfort. So his character, his nature, he is merciful, he is full of compassion. But it also said he's the God of all comfort. God is the source of all comfort, which means... He is concerned for the situations of all those who are suffering. Which in turn means he is concerned about you. He knows exactly where you're at. And he wishes to bring to your life compassion and comfort. In verse 4, we see what God does. And his purpose, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. In this verse, it is present tense, which means this comfort that comes and sourced in God is constantly and unfailing operating in each of our lives. If you've been here any length of time, I think you understand. Sometimes it's okay to admit you're not okay. You're not okay. And we need to take the mask off long enough to say, I'm struggling. God understands. And we are learning to. Now, as I studied this long passage, I realized the key to understanding this passage was a very simple word or phrase. The word is so that. So that. It's found in verse 4. It's found in verse 9. It's found in verse 11. So that or that in these instances, show purpose or result. So look at what verse says. God, who is full of mercy, who is full of comfort, he comforts us, he encourages us when we are experiencing troubles. And the passage, you would think, would stop right there. Thank you, God, for what you're pouring into my life. But that's not what Paul says. There's a purpose he pours it into your life so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. See, comfort does not end with me and with my personal benefit. Comfort that God pours into our lives enables us to become agents in extending God's comfort to others in their suffering. 
the comfort we receive, we're to pass on. We're to pass it on. And as God comforts us and takes care of us, we're to extend it to others freely. We become channels of blessing through suffering. When we decided to have children, it took a number of years. And when finally Barb became pregnant with our very first, we were extremely, extremely excited. But then later on, a few days after, she was in serious pain. Ended up having a tubal pregnancy. Lost the child. We went on after that with a couple other miscarriages before Brad was born. We understand the pain of what we went through. And we decided early on, after that birth came to fruition, that this pregnancy thing is not just a slam dunk in people's lives. And I don't think we've told this church, but every pregnancy that we have known in this church, we have prayed for you because we understand the pain. But that's how God sensitized us. See, God doesn't comfort us to be comfortable. He comforts us to be comforters. He wishes to use each one of us to bless others because God has blessed us with comfort. And now I believe this passage says it obligates us to pass that on to others. And that's our promise. On the back of your bulletin, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our affliction. So that, there's the purpose, we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves received from God. So how you doing? Do you comfort others? He goes on in verse 5 to clarify verse 4. We are joined together with Christ. That is our identification in Christ. And we learn in verse 5 that suffering is not a punishment. Jesus suffered. And as we enter into his suffering, God will provide comfort. But the text says, in abundance. In verse 6, Paul says his suffering and his comfort was meant as an example for others. And the word salvation there can also have the idea of deliverance. Deliverance. Paul was distressed. And as he went through that distress and received God's comfort, they could see God's provision of comfort. And that process of watching Paul suffer and be comforted built in them patient endurance. We would call that character formation. In verse 7, Paul expresses a steadfast hope that as they suffer, they would share in 
Paul's comfort. So the first reason that we go through suffering is so that God can comfort us so that, so that we can comfort others. Do you see the the walls being broken down and the bridge being built to other people? Well, that word that appears again in verses 8 to 10. Let me read it for us. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experience in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that, so that, was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. In your notes, God uses suffering to keep us from trusting ourselves. God uses suffering to keep us from trusting ourselves. He gives the readers there in Corinth a concrete example of what he had gone through. Paul had experienced intense hardship, intense suffering. And notice the focus was not on the details of the harrowing experience that he had gone through, but the words here talk about the details of the greatness of God's rescue. It had oppressed Paul beyond endurance. He was despaired. And as I looked up that word despair, totally unavailable of an exit. There was no way out. He was at the end of his rope. Verse 9, indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. It was humanly hopeless under this situation. But there was a purpose, Paul says, that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. You know what all of our temptation is? Self-reliance. Pioneer spirit, I can do it. I don't care what I'm going through. I don't care what kind of suffering I'm going through, what kind of affliction I'm going through, but I can make it. Hogwash. Hogwash. Suffering reminds me that I am human. Suffering reminds me that I have limited resources. Suffering reminds me I'm not God. And when I go through hard times, suffering reminds me I must look up. I must trust God in fresh ways. I am utterly helpless. Now when we look at a newborn, oh, utterly helpless. And as we grow up and as we become adults, we shed that thinking. But here's the truth in spiritual terms. You are utterly helpless. And suffering brings that screamingly home to my life. We are to trust, not in ourselves or in our abilities. We are to trust in God. And notice what it says at the end of verse 9. 
We can rely on God who raises the dead. Only God can raise the dead. Amen? Amen. Only God. And some of you are facing situations in life that are causing you great pain. And you're trying to gut it out. You're trying to say, I can make it through. And God says, stop it. Because only he can raise the dead. And some of you have dreams that are dying if not dead. And God says, I'm going to leave them dead until you stop trying to fix it yourself. Only God can raise the dead. This describes God's work in utterly hopeless situations. How often do we go into fix-it mode? Until the situation becomes so utterly impossible, we throw up our hands and say, God, unless you show up, it's not going to happen. And God says, I've been waiting for you to admit that. And in verse 10, Paul has this expression of hope. He has a statement and two conclusions. Number one, God has rescued us in the past. Amen? God has rescued us in the... We could bring story after story of God's goodness in our lives, how God showed up. But then he also has two conclusions. Number one, God will continue to rescue and save. And secondly, that we can set our hope and trust in this God. So God wishes to bring comfort in our lives as we suffer so we can be channels to others. He brings suffering into our lives so that we will stop and say, I can't trust myself, I must trust God. And in verse 11, God uses suffering to teach us to pray for others and to give thanks in everything. Verse 11 You also must help us by prayer. So that, purpose. Why do we pray? So that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Intercessory prayer. Prayer for others. What this passage is saying, intercessory prayer links Suffering people with a God who delivers. And the intercessors are the link. So that when God answers such prayer, it results in an outburst of praise and thanksgiving, which rebounds greatly to God's glory. Pat Cook. Pat Cook wants to tell us something today. You know what? Your message just covers my... I know that. That's why it fit right here. You can sit down and you can just use the microphone. Yeah. Well, I am Pat Cook. (laughs) And I said his message just covers everything I'm writing about today. I just need to thank every one of you who have prayed, who have sent cards, come to visit... I have just been so thankful for that. It's so uplifting. And as he says, prayers glorify God. Well, I continue to thank you as I recover. They tell me I'm doing good, but sometimes I don't think so. This is a replacement for my left shoulder. 
Anyway, I also need to give you an update on my daughter, Glenda. She lives in Lawrence, Kansas, so she's not able to be here. But for the past 10 years, she has battled cancer. Now, many, many of you have prayed for her, and we are so thankful for that. In June, she had a CAT scan. First time in 10 years she did not have a new tumor. We just praise the Lord for that. But now, this month, on the 19th, which is Wednesday, she will have an MRI and another CAT scan to see if she has another tumor. I told her I was giving this message today. Oh, Mom, she said, you tell them how thankful we are for all of their prayers. She says, we know when they're praying. It gives us such uplifting spirits. Anyway, on Monday, the 23rd, she will go to her doctor to get the results of the test. We continue to cover your prayers. Glenda and her husband, Bill, were in the ministry for 30 years. Glenda is in a research program, so this gives her many opportunities to converse and encourage and help some who actually are terminal in their cancer disease. She started in child evangelism when she was 15 years old. And I think of Twyla because she worked with Ethel and Dean Worthington. Oh, and she said, tell Twyla, I thank her for that experience with her parents. Now, I just need to say God bless each and every one of you. We have such full hearts of thankfulness and love. I do. Thank you, Pat. Intercessory prayer links our suffering, our need for comfort with a God that acts. I don't fully understand that, but prayer actualizes this process. Prayer moves God and changes the world. Prayer changes things, so so don't stop praying. Join us today at 4 o'clock as a church to pray. Join us on Thursday nights at 6 o'clock to pray. Get other people to pray for you. Now let me review what we've learned today. Suffering makes us more sympathetic. Amen? We understand the struggles because God has softened us up with the struggles and afflictions and the suffering that we go through. Number two, comfort is meant to be shared with others. I'm just not the recipient. I am the channel to others. Thirdly, Suffering gives us a greater appreciation for God's super abounding comfort and encouragement. Number four, and we don't like this one. Suffering causes us to trust ourselves less and trust God more. 
Number five, suffering and comfort gives us greater confidence in God's power and greater hope in the future. And number six, suffering reminds us to pray for others. That's just by way of review. This is simple to teach, but it is hard when you are in the midst of pain. Amen? Amen. It's hard to stay focused. The, The pain screams to us. So two points of application, real simple. Some of you need to learn to be more real with people you trust. Break down the walls. Build a bridge to someone that you trust or you think you can trust. Give them something small and allow them to walk alongside of you in encouragement for time. Some of you are suffering in silence and it's not healthy. So be real. Can you do that? Amen? Number two. This is one's going to stretch you. I'm going to challenge you this week to find some person, whether you know them or not, but I think God's going to lay this on your heart, and I want you to ask a simple question. How can I pray for you? How can I pray for you? Now understand, it's not just a statement or a question. It involves then your actions afterwards. But if you were to say to someone, how can I pray for you? Would you please get real with me? Give me something that will allow me to walk alongside of you for a little bit to encourage you. My wife has taught me over the years that often I just stop at that moment and pray for them. Now, Pastor, you're the paid guy to do that. But can I suggest... There are so many needs out there that there are people all around you who, if you were to ask them, how can I pray for you, they would be encouraged just by you asking. And I think God will bring those people to your mind. One person this next week, how can I pray for you? Show care. Show comfort. You think back in your own lives when you were going through a difficult time and someone asked you that question or they even said, I need to pray for you right now. And you have at that moment said, thank you, God. Someone cares enough to take me to the throne. God wishes to use you to be a bridge of comfort to someone else. I challenge you to do that at least once in the next six days. I will guarantee you will be a blessing to that person. Now, just a side note, when they share that with you, it's for you and you alone. It's not for the prayer team. It's not for the neighborhood. It's not even for others in your family. This is for you to lift up in prayer for this next week. Okay, can you do that? Yes or no? Yes. God wishes to use you as God answers prayers for others 
sometimes even seemingly impossible prayers, God wishes to use you. The promise. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. That's our promise. You are the channel. In the process, God is going to make you trust him more and yourself less. And he's going to cause you to pray for others and God is going to work. Let's pray.